and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet a panel of marketing leaders live to explore how they're building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. In my conversations with our clients and countless other CMOs over the past decade, one topic consistently generates both immense interest and a vexing lack of progress. That topic is CMOs on public boards. Study after study reveals the void of marketing leadership in the boardroom. According to research by Spencer Stewart, of the thousands of board seats, fewer than 30 are occupied in the United States by US-based CMOs. Today we will unravel the mysteries of CMOs and corporate governance. How do the rare few secure a board appointment? What's the value they bring when they arrive? And how can having a board seat be accretive to CMOs in their day jobs and therefore beneficial to the brands they lead? To explore this topic, I'm joined by six current CMOs who are also independent directors of publicly listed companies and a leading CMO headhunter. After the introductions, I will have one-on-one -on -one conversations with each CMO, return to all for our commitments round, and conclude with my reflections. So to begin, speakers, after I introduce you, please answer this question in one word. What is the strongest contribution you as a CMO bring to a public board? Welcome, Cami Dunaway, Director, Planet Fitness and Red Robin, as well as CMO Duolingo. So can I get two words? Consumer obsessed. Okay, Cami. Next, please, Paul Alexander is a director of Johnson Outdoors and the CMO of the Questrom School of Business at Boston University. Margaret, my one word would be purpose. Okay, Paul. Next, Zena Arnold, director, Easy Corp and chief digital and marketing officer at Kimberly Clark. Zena. Digital first. Okay. Next, we go to greet Mike Linton, Director at Lone Depot and Chief Revenue Officer at Ancestry. Marketplace strategy. Okay. Marketplace strategy. Next, please, Sonita Lantau, Director at both Sunrun and True Blue, as well as CMO for personalization, 3D printing, and digital manufacturing at HP. My one word, Margaret, would be growth. Growth. Nina Bibby is joining us from London, where she is the non-exec direct at Barrett Development and recent CMO of O2. Thank you, Margaret. I think I'm last, um, which makes it harder to find one word that has been said, but I will go for perspective. Perspective. And finally, your perspective, Richard Saunderson. Richard leads the marketing, sales, and communications practice for the leading executive search firm, 
Spencer Stewart. Uh, thank you. I'm literally crossing off the words I have. There's only a few left. The ones that haven't been crossed off for me are uh, transformation and insight. Wonderful words, colleagues. Transformation and insight. Okay, so Cami, let's get started with you. Your word, as I recall it, customer obsession. Right. Talk to us. Yeah, so I think that um, CMOs are naturally wired to think about consumer and customer behavior, how it is changing and how that impacts business strategy. And I think one of the things that's really important to acknowledge when you think about your role on a board is that you're focused on the long term. You are focused on how companies win in the long term. And so being able to bring that perspective on what's going on with behavior, what risks and opportunities that might present is, I think, something that we're uniquely suited to doing. So, Kami, I've known you for many years, and I think all of those years you've been on a board. I think way back, gosh, probably as far back as 2006, mm -hmm. I remember Brunswick and then Marketo. So tell us, from your current perspective, what counsel do you offer to CMOs seeking a board spot? So there's a couple of things. First, I think it's really useful to know what your value proposition is. Know what you are uniquely qualified to do on a board. So my first board seat was with Brunswick. Um, I was the chief marketing officer of Yahoo at the time, and I was specifically recruited to bring that digital transformation perspective. So know what your value proposition is. And then I think it's it's really important to seek counsel from other colleagues on boards to understand the differences between what a board member does, what a senior you know, C-suite person does in their own company, and to really build relationships with your other board members. It's one of the things that I probably underestimated on my first board was just how much of the work actually doesn't happen in the boardroom and how important it is to really develop those relationships that enable you to have the robust conversations that, that really help your management team. Cami, I mentioned at the outset that you were on the board of a fitness company and a restaurant for the past couple of years, and your current day job is CMO of Duolingo, which of course went public this year. So right. an extraordinarily busy time. Talk to us about how you manage those multiple commitments. Yeah, it, it is a great question. And I'm at a life stage now with an adult child, so I have more time and energy to put into my board work. And I think it's so important when you say yes to a board, one, that it be something you're personally passionate about and that you are excited about pouring lots of time and energy into it. And also to recognize that there will be times when the commitment of your time can be quite large. It's nice when it's four board meetings a year and a couple of committee calls, but over the course of the boards that I've been involved with, when there have been activist activity, when there's been an M&A kind of proposal, it has required you know, two, three, four, five hours a week in board duty. So when you sign up, you need to know that you have the bandwidth to be able to just you know, deliver on your fiduciary responsibilities, and they can be quite large. Cami, you highlighted a distinction between your operating role and your board responsibilities. Are there behaviors that make you successful as a board member that may be different from the behaviors that make you effective as an operator? I, I really believe that there are. I think you know one of the things that is so important as a board member is to really take time to listen and to ask good questions. And so I know as a C-level executive, part of how I'm wired is like just jumping in and solving problems. And on the board, that's not your role. It's management's role to solve the problems. It's your role just to help to shine a light on things that they might be missing. You know, also, I think that in a lot of the companies that I've been involved with, meetings involve very robust debate and a lot of comfort with challenging your peers within the meeting. And I found in the boardroom that because it's important for you as a board to speak with an aligned voice to management and not confuse management, that a lot of that very robust debate 
sometimes happens outside of the boardroom or just needs to happen in a very thoughtful manner that's just a little different than the way I experience my C-level um, meetings and companies that I work full-time for. Cami, finally, I've observed an explosion of interest in ESG from an investing standpoint and even from an occupying mindshare perspective. Talk to us about how the CMO is qualified to provide value on that area. Absolutely. Well, I think Paul chose a wonderful word about value that CMOs bring, which is purpose. And I think we all have really come to understand that a healthy brand is a brand that really understands the needs of multiple stakeholders that um, takes action, doesn't just create ads about purpose. And so I think that enables us to ask good questions about what companies are doing around their stance on environmental practices and on DEI uh, be initiatives. So to really get at the underlying actions that result in a purpose-driven brand and a brand that has ESG at its heart. Thank you, Cami. So Paul, you said purpose. Tell us why you think the CMO brings value in this area to the boardroom. Thanks, Margaret. And it's great to be here with, uh, with everyone else. Really looking forward to hearing everyone's comments. And, um, you know, Cami was was spot on. It's good to see her. I mean, how many conversations have we had about consumers wanting to buy from companies that have a purpose, that want to live their values? And I think that there's no one better to bring that type of perspective to the boardroom than the CMO. We're the ones who are charged with bringing the purpose of our companies uh, to life. So I think that CMOs can help board members as well as the companies kind of refine or define their purpose. But I think equally important, you have to do it in a way that's authentic, that's empathetic and logical. And I think if you can do those three things, can you, if, you, if you can help a company bring their purpose to life using those three, then you build trust. And I, I just heard a great presentation the other day about, you know, tr if you don't have all three, that's where trust can wobble. And empathy, but not logic, in the case of uh, Facebook with Meta, and just pour logic on it, but not have empathy, and you don't build trust. So that's what I think we can bring to the boardroom. Beautiful shout out there to Professor Francis, Francis Fry's work. Yes. Um, on, yes. On trust, beautiful, well worth a read for everyone. So Paul, talk us through your board journey. You've been a mentor to me for years, and I know board service has been an ambition of yours. I'm delighted to see in May 2021, you've decided to take up a board seat. Tell us about your journey and what other CMOs can learn from it. I think the word I would use would be, for me, was perseverance. I've been interested in being on a public board for many years and have um, have attended uh, workshops with Spencer Stewart and, you know, talked to friends and other individuals who are on boards, but never really made that kind of love connection. And I think, you know, to be frank with uh, you and everybody on the board, I, I do think that this point of racial reckoning that we've all been experiencing has had a direct effect on and, and things like the NASDAQ a promise or impetus that it, companies are now taking an even stronger look at diversifying their boards. And I think after many years for me of not uh, having much luck, I reached back out to Greg Welch and Spencer Stewart earlier this year and uh, shout out to them. And, uh, and they came back almost immediately with, uh, with opportunities, including Johnson. So, uh, outdoors. So I, I think perseverance is important. And I think it's also, it would be, it wouldn't be truthful if I didn't acknowledge that the situation we're in, the, the, the murder of George Floyd, I think has created a situation where there's real impact and intent that there might've been less of in past years. Paul, should boards be bigger to accommodate more diversity? I don't think so. I've become convinced that about a dozen is the maximum number for an effective board. 
I'm on some other nonprofit boards that are 20, 50 people, and they're effective in their way, but I don't think you can have the robust conversations and impact with a board that's larger than that. So I think what you can do, and Eastern Bank did this and does this successfully, is they have tiers of boards. So there's the, there's the board of directors, then there's the board of advisors, which is about 35 to 50 people, and then there's a board of ambassadors who are the, the true ambassadors for the bank across the greater Boston area. So I think you can create multiple boards, if you will. I won't call them junior, but I think you can create feeder boards that can then give you the type of bench you need. So when the boards do open up, you've got someone and you're not scrambling. It's an interesting framework. And I know you were a marketing executive at Eastern Bank before going over to Boston University. What's the one thing you wished you knew before you joined a board? I know you did plenty of preparation. Anything that people may miss in their preparation? Yes, I think, you know, as marketers, I think it's important to acknowledge that boards have a story arc, just like a brand. And I wish I had known that it's important to ask the questions around how did individual A, B, C get on this board? How did they come to the board? What's their story? And I think when you understand that, they can ask better questions. And then as you get to know them better, you understand their perspective. I wish I'd known that coming in. You think it's more, you got to understand the company. You got to understand the key drivers, but, but each member has a story arc and it's important to understand that. Any other advice you would offer to aspiring CMOs who want to be on boards, particularly black CMOs? Um, I, I think, in, I think for, all new board members and in particular women and uh, people of color, I think we have to get out of our own way. And what I mean by that is get over the imposter syndrome that might be weighing on you. Somehow, you know, am I really the right person or what will I bring to this board? I think we have to get over that and know that marketing is key and that know that your authenticity is ultimately what is going to be valuable for the board. So that's, that's the piece I would add. Thank you, Paul. Zena, your word, I believe, was digital or digital first. Tell us why you believe digital knowledge is the strongest contribution a CMO can make to a public board. Well, a number of folks brought up uh, very related words, which I would say are on insights and being um, consumer or, or user first. And really, uh, that, that means digital first in today's world. Um, I've found in my experience boards uh, of, of non-tech companies, they, they aren't always thinking about um, how they can be digital first and really what the right consumer trends are to, to focus on. But those are really the things that are driving a lot of, of growth. You know, many of the new companies that are disrupting older ones are, um, you know, the, the companies who get how behaviors have changed in people and, and how digital is so important to everything that that all of us do right now so as you think about you know growth and and what are the investments needed for that growth which is a big part of, of being on a board um, bringing that perspective i think is really important Sina, tell us about your board journey if i recall you joined the board of easy core while you were at google is that correct yes so tell us about the journey and in particular how you navigate alignment with your employer around joining a board in addition to your day job responsibilities sure i i have i think a, a very fortunate and maybe not typical um, route to coming onto a board uh, many years ago i knew it was something that i i wanted to do some mentors of mine had had been on boards and, and talked about how they really loved the experience and you know we're talking was talking to several recruiters um for for you know day jobs if you will but i said i'm also interested in, in joining a board at, at some point and you know this was many years ago and they said well you don't 
have a typical background for it. You know, you're not in the C-suite and you're not in finance or, or regulatory or, or, you know, CEO type roles. So it'll be a long, you know, road for you, but sure, you know, good to know you're interested in it. And one of the recruiters that I um, had had a great relationship with, you know, called me and he said, Zena, uh, I got a call from the board of this company and they were looking for someone who has exactly your experience, you know, someone who's been in the tech world, understands that, someone who's got a strong, you know, consumer um, marketing background. And I immediately thought of you because you said this is something you wanted to do. And, and he said, well, have a seat because I think you'll be pretty surprised surprised at, at what this is. He said the company is Easy Corp. It's, it's the second largest pawn shop operator in the U.S. And I said, wow, I know nothing about the pawn industry. So uh, back to that point you were making, Paul, on, on imposter syndrome. I said, I don't know if this is for me. And he said, just talk to them and, and see, because I think they want someone who is an outsider who can bring some new perspective. And, and when I talked to the board and the CEO, I, I was really intrigued about what they wanted to do about the business problems that they were facing. Again, it was not an industry that I knew anything about, but I was really just drawn to how they wanted to digitally transform and saw a huge opportunity to do that in a piece of the financial services world that, that's kind of left behind um, in, in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, it, it was you know putting it out there, and that's what I tell most people if you're interested. Just tell um, recruiters, call, call Richard to make sure he knows Knows that that it's something that you're you're interested in in doing and um, start networking and, and meeting with people and the right opportunity will will eventually present itself. Zena, as a seasoned marketer, do you spend time with the marketing organization at yeah, at the at Easy Corp? How do you contribute in that way and best support them? I do, I do. And I think, you know, part of why they wanted me to come in was to bring a bit more um, guidance and vision to the team. I've always worked in organizations where marketing had a pretty big role in the company strategy. You know, that's that's a part of, of how CPG, um, where, where I grew up and where I am now, really runs um, the business. And in in PON and, and often in different parts of financial services, that, that isn't necessarily the case. And and marketing doesn't have a whole lot of strategy, but given all the growth that we want to do and, and the digital transformation that, that we want to drive, they did want me to, to do that. So I, I have been been meeting with and spending time with the team. It's been an interesting learning experience because, you know, I'd say, especially coming in, and this is my first board experience, I, I'd say I maybe listed too much towards wanting to get involved, which I, I've always been, you know, on the operating side and ready and, and love, you know, jumping in to solve problems. But, um, you know, as, as a few folks mentioned here, that's not really your role as a board member. The team doesn't report to you and I don't want to make them feel like they, they do. So it's really being around there for guidance, for suggestions, for introductions um, to, to people or, or companies that, that could help them with some of their, their um, problems, helping them to to set some of the right KPIs that are important for us um, as well at the board level and, and also on the operating side. So um, it, it's definitely been a learning experience and I'd say I, I've learned a ton and part of why this was a great board to join uh, is that a number of the people that, that have been on the board for a while were very open to taking me under their wing and helping me learn. And, and I sussed that out when I was, was first exploring the opportunity and was very upfront about the fact that I hadn't done this before. I'm, I'm a ready and willing learner, but uh, it's all new to me. And they said, that's that's fine. And we're, we're willing to take the time and, and they have to do that. Okay, Zina, finally, you've been on the board since 2019. It's been a tumultuous period. Has there been any shift in the conversation happening in the boardroom during this period? There has um, in a number of, of different spaces, you know, um, 
there's been a lot that that we've been talking about in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion and how can we drive that um, not not just at the corporate level but at at the store level and and within all of our associates that's that's been a really um, important and recurring um, piece of conversation um, how do we also encourage that and and ensure that the interactions with with our customers um, are are representative of the values we want to to drive so that's that's been a huge one uh, obviously the pandemic has had a lot of of effect on on everything you know we um, have had both ups and downs uh due to that um at at easy corp you know with um, different behaviors changing and just being able to be reactive to that and helping the company think ahead on what are the types of investments that we need to make to enable that you know early days of of the pandemic um we were in the midst of of uh, doing some changeovers of of our um you know digital backend systems and that ended up being a really really fortunate and good investment given all of the change that we needed to enable um it, it was it was great so you know thinking through um i think managing the volatility that just is now i think an ever present in in everyone's world um has has been really important um and and then the continued you know digital transformation it's it's always changing there's there's always more and different things that um that we need to do to reach all of our our customers where and and when we can um so so just keeping up on all of that as well okay thank you for that Zena. let's now go to mike so mike i believe you said your word was something along the lines of strategy tell us how marketers contribute to that i i so i think one of the things that you you can bring to a board or at least to, from my perspective has been helpful is a lot of companies see inside out and i think marketers see outside in quite a bit and the the other thing about seeing outside in is you're you're definitely trying to win today but you're also trying to win tomorrow and i think putting a marketer uh, on the board if you do it right, you are actually focusing on kind of the marketplace and where it is going so the company could slot itself in there versus the company just forcing its way into the marketplace based on what it is doing. And so, that's how it that's 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 why I said that one. So So Mike, you're you're on a board right now, but I've known you for many years on boards, way back since Alan Edmondson and Pete's Coffee and many other experiences in between. Tell us about what it's really like. I mean, what the real commitments are. Because some of those companies have had transactions and interesting experiences sort of set the stage for us on the reality of the commitment. So it's like my first board ever was Pete's Coffee and Tea. And uh, that was, gosh, 2004 or something was just so I've aged myself dramatically by just that comment. <laughs> I, I look the board thing is super fun. It's super cool. You get to do a lot of stuff. It is also tremendously can be a huge amount of work, and you will run into almost every, at least every half year something you have never had to deal with. So two things I will say: Pete's got acquired, as did another of my boards, Capella. If you're running, and I was running comp committee during Capella. And I was on the special committee on Pete's when we were selling it. That was a meeting every day. We had 30 meetings right up every morning, just scheduled during the sale. And they had to schedule around me since I was working a lot then. And it was, uh, you know, so that was everyone's getting up at like seven o'clock to do the, to do that. And also at Pete's, we had to run the options investigation and somehow the audit the auditor selected me to run the options investigation where I knew absolutely nothing about all the rules in this or how to even hire like a forensic accounting firm. So that was a tremendous learning. I will just say it also took a tremendous amount of time. So Mike, talk about committees a little bit. You referenced there the number of committees that you led or participated in. Where do you see the CMO bringing value to the committee structure? So, so I think when you join a committee, it's not really, you're not joining it as a CMO or anything. You're joining it as the board member and your job is to run that committee. And I've run uh, two comp committees, NAMIGOV, 
And uh, somehow I've been on an audit committee, even though I'm surely not qualified for that. I, I think what, when I think about committees, your job is to do what the board needs you to do. And that means you have to go to school on how to be good at comp or good at nomgov. And a lot of people will talk to you, though you have to go find them. There's not a lot of folks that have done like the options investigation or, or run some of these things. And, and what I tried to do is, is talk to people that have done it before, read a lot about it, and then use every resource available to learn as fast as you can. Because you don't get any grace period, you can't say, you know, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get the comp done in time for the <laughs> CDNA in the book. You, you got to get it all done, and th that takes a lot of thinking. And and actually, the first time you run something like comp, it is a huge time suck. Yeah. So, Mike, what would you say to the listener who's saying, "Gosh, I, I understand there's a lot of commitment." Is there any value on this in terms of learnings that you bring back to the day job? Oh my gosh, this is like going to college every, every, almost every meeting, especially if you're doing something you don't know about. It's like going to college all the time. You learn a whole new business, whole new problems. You get, I think, great perspective on compensation, M&A, governance. You know, you, you're forced to learn a bunch of financials that you might not ever even get experienced for, but for if you're not on the board and a lot of issues you you get all the hot issues too so you bring you're bringing a ton back to the to the company and also i think it it improves over time your credibility cuz you can actually argue a lot of stuff on if you're in the middle of an M&A in your company or financials or you know you if talking to the audit committee is not is not that not nearly as intimidating once you've actually been on an audit committee. Still still isn't that much fun, but nonetheless, you have you have a lot more practice doing it. Tremendous. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that, Mike. Okay, Sonita, your word was growth. Why will a CMO help with growth? A great, great question, Margaret. I think for me personally, you know, based on just my experience, you know, at the intersection of, so I've been a marketer, but has always been in kind of new emerging technologies, you know, so there is always this intersection of innovation, disruptive technologies, and customer experience. I think boards can benefit from CMOs in a few ways, you know, one, I think CMOs can provide the perspective on how boards should think on how to evolve their digital transformation and growth strategies, you know, in the next three, five, 10 years, not only to achieve cost efficiencies and improve customer experience, but in certain cases to also think about new business models and new revenue streams to drive growth. And with regards to this new business model specifically, I think some of us can provide perspectives on how companies can think a little bit outside the box, you know, by understanding again, mega trends, you know, where the industry is going, uh, what's going on with changing customer preferences, what are some of the verticals that are ripe for disruptions and helping, you know, the companies to incubate maybe new high growth businesses where you can leverage uh, the company's unique capabilities and also delivering new value to customers and shareholders. And then I think last but not least, given just my experience having launched and grown new disruptive businesses, both within legacy companies, but also with you know, more entrepreneurial uh, venture back Silicon Valley startups, I think CMOs can also provide perspectives on how different companies operating in different industries with different digital maturity levels um, can really embrace this transformation, be it digital or other business transformation, not only for you know cost efficiencies or customer experience, but more importantly to like drive these new business models for market expansion and growth. And so I said growth, uh, Margaret, because I truly believe you know us as a CMOs with our insights, you know customer obsession, uh, digital first, you know we can actually help companies to think through how they should evolve their strategies to drive new growth. Now, Sonita, you're on two boards of two very different companies. Mm -hmm. the, the most recent one, arguably a, a stretch from your current role in terms of it's more workforce management versus technology, at least at first blush. It, tell us what appealed to you about that role and how you were able to assess that it was a good fit for you. 
Yes, uh, another great question. Just like uh, what everyone else has said, uh, at least for me, one of the lenses that I use to evaluate board opportunities is to ensure that the mission and values of the company actually resonate with my own values. And actually this particular workforce company, you know, I really, you know, after talking to some of the board members, I really believe in the mission because for the past three years, uh, they have actually connected, you know, about 2 million people to work. And as you know, you know, work provides income and dignity to people. So it really resonated with me. But with regards to why I felt it was, I can provide value to this company. Interestingly, this is a legacy company who in the past few years just adopted new technologies and new digital technologies because they wanted to improve kind of like their solutions offering and their customer experience, both for the workers, but also for the companies that use their services. And so I felt like kind of my experience understanding, you know, how different companies approach the challenges and opportunities with adopting digital transformation would really help the, this company in its kind of digital transformation journey, but also to think of like what new businesses, new areas, be it adjacencies, or perhaps even go up the value chain that they can explore in order to continue their journey to figure out new growth opportunities. Sonita, tell us about your board journey because you're very recently begun your career, if you will, as in board seats. Tell us about the journey, what resources you use to prepare for the positions you now have. And because frankly, in my research and observation, it seems like there's a cottage industry out there around board preparation. Every business school, every search firm, and many others in between have courses and weekends and what's, whatnot. What have you found useful? I think thinking back, I think my board journey probably started informally about four years ago without me even realizing it. So I got a call from one of the recruiting firms for a potential public board opportunity uh, for a large company actually uh, listed on the London Stock Exchange. And to be honest, Margaret, at that time, I was not even thinking about boards. And also I was working for another company before HBO was with Siemens. And this company is actually a very large customer of Siemens. And so there's a conflict of interest. And so I could really pursue the opportunity. And then for this second go round, actually I got a call from the same recruiting company, but another partner for the board opportunity with Sunrun, which is uh, actually the largest residential solar and battery as a service company here in the US. But when I look at like why they pinged me, I think like given again, my experience in disruptive technology and actually in particular IoT and the applications of IoT for energy and for infrastructure, I think like without me even knowing over the years, you know, I have been able to perhaps share some point of view and thought leadership with regards to like where the industry is going, uh, how it can actually create new ecosystem that is more reliable, better for consumers, you know, better for the environment. And I think without me even knowing it, I think they had kind of like perhaps seen some of these thought leadership and point of view. And they felt that at this point of where the company is in this uh, journey, that bringing in someone like me with this point of view would be helpful to the board. And in terms of just preparation, you know, I have taken these courses, you know, um, NACD has pretty good, I would say, courses and certification programs with regards to explaining the roles and responsibilities of boards, giving you some case studies, especially for someone new, uh, such as myself, um, and also other kind of like organizations such as the uh, Women Corporate Directors Foundation. And as you mentioned, Margaret, many other universities like the Stanford's Directors College or Harvard, which I haven't taken, but you know, I have heard very good uh, feedback about these two programs as well. Okay, thank you, Sonita. So Nina, going to London now, love to get perhaps a different perspective. So your word indeed was perspectives, if I recall. So you've had the vantage point of listening to many of our colleagues here. What do you believe to be the greatest contribution the CMO makes to a boardroom? And I believe you've been in the boardroom for, gosh, more than eight years now. So I guess you know, my word was perspective because we, you know, CMOs, we are hardwired to look externally. 
to watch what the customer is doing, what the competitors are doing. So I think our contribution on a board is to really challenge the rest of the board to consider every question from the perspective of the customer, the competition, society, and think about how will any decision impact them and how will any decision play out in front of them. Nina, I know you're just finished up with O2 and in the process of your next role. How do you think about the fact that you have a board commitment as you're in a recruitment situation? Because the turnover of CMOs tends to be more frequent than the turnover of board members. Talk to us about that and how people need to navigate and negotiate that dynamic. Yeah, I think it's important to, if it's something that you want to do or if it's something that you want to continue to do, then it is important to be upfront ask right up front, is this something that the company encourages, allows, is supportive of? And if for some reason they're not, then I think it's important to, to really ask yourself the question of which is more important, you know, this executive role or, or the, the board role. But in general, I have certainly found that my previous employer and then O2 as well, and some of the companies I'm in discussion with have all, are all very supportive of it, which is great. How can being on a public board make you a better CMO? Yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, the thing is, being on a board gives you a completely different perspective from another sector. And it's very hard to get the depth of perspective of another sector if you're not working for them or indeed on a board. So be able to bring that uh, perspective back to the day job, I think has been one of the most um, useful and, um, and helpful things in terms of the value it brings back for me to O2. Nina, you've had the benefit of hearing from our colleagues here. I'd love to understand, is there any difference in view on any of this in the UK versus what you've heard this morning? In particular, my understanding is there is more of a conversation in Europe around company culture and other subjects that has more dominance in the boardroom. Could you speak to that, please? Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah, one of the things I was thinking about when I was listening to everybody, and there's sort of great comments, I've been making lots of notes, uh, but I was thinking about, you know, how does one go about getting onto a board? And, and I think a I've heard, you know, Zima, you mentioned put yourself out there and then people will know. And I think that's absolutely right. But it's also important when you're um, thinking about joining a board to, to understand that the interview process is different, that you're not being interviewed by, of course, the chairman is a key decision maker, as is the rest of the board, but you're more of an equal. And so one of the things I've always been really clear on is when you're interviewing, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And you need to understand, well, what is the company culture? But you also need to understand what's the culture around that board table? What's the dynamic around that board table? What's the dynamic between um, the board and the executive team? And, and are you comfortable with that? So I think some of those, those cultural points are important. And that's being you know, very selfishly for each of us to consider. In terms of company culture overall, from a board perspective, then you're right. Um, you know, as boards, we do talk about culture a lot more now even than we did a few years ago. And that's really risen up the board agenda. Nina, any particular advice for US or excuse me, UK or Europe-based CMOs who are interested in joining a board? Um, let's see. So I guess a few things. So firstly, as I said, I think when you're going through the interview process, really do think of it as I've just said, that it is you're interviewing them as much as vice versa. It's not necessarily that sort of subordinate mentality you're going in with. They're, you're not selling your technical expertise necessarily. Although, as we've all said, you know, the reasons that we've been asked to join boards is because we often do have that very strong background, especially in something like digital. I think the other thing to remember is tailor your CV. So you should have two different CVs, one for your executive roles and one for your non-exec roles. They are different. They should be emphasizing different points. I think that's really important. I think the other thing that's important is to remember, again, particularly in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in the US, I think it is, you're making a long-term commitment. So mm -hmm. boards in the UK, you can stay on them up to nine years and they're in three-year cycles. You're definitely expected to be there three years. And in fact, eyebrows will be raised if you're not there six years. 
you know, what happened? Why, why did that person leave the board? Was there a problem? Did they not get along? Were they not? So it's a long-term commitment. And as somebody said, make sure you're really interested in it. Make sure that you've got the bandwidth to devote the time and make sure that, I mean, it's one of the things that I love about being on a board is that I've had that nine-year perspective. You know, how rare is it to be at the top of a company for nine years and to see it through multiple cycles? So it is a, it's a great thing, but also you need to be really aware of it. Thank you, Nina. Great reminders and thank you for your board service. Now, Richard, you got to listen to all the CMOs and I believe your word was something along the lines of transformation and innovation and other very laudable things. So, so tell us from your vantage point, a unique perch, what is the greatest value CMOs bring to public boards? What is most prized? Well, um, thankfully, some of the panel participants have really touched on some of the key issues. I think to go back to some of the words and comments that resonated with me at the very beginning, I think Cami spoke about consumer obsession. And I think that when boards come to us looking for CMOs on boards, they're often looking for help us bring the voice of the customer or the consumer to the board. Many board members are often current or retired chief financial officers, chief executive officers. The voice of the consumer is not always apparent at the front of the board. The other theme I heard, and I think Zena made this point very well, is around digital transformation. There was a wave a few years ago of quote unquote digital directors that came onto boards, and I think that still holds true as well. And often the chief marketing officer is or can be the embodiment of digital change, digital transformation and capability builds and that voice of that at the, at, at the board level. And finally, growth. I mean, certainly when, when I look at, at, at job specs that, that we write, there is often a theme of marketing officers who have shepherded or stewarded growth or transformation in their companies. So I think a lot of the themes that I've heard from, from the panelists today resonate with how we write position descriptions for non-executive directors and the needs that are often asked of us um, by boards seeking to bring on new members. Richard, what is the feedback you get from CEOs or nominating committees, board chairs, when you present CMOs, particularly CMOs that do not prevail? So it's often, so, well, let me talk a little bit about maybe a little bit about the process to understand how CMOs are even getting to have those conversations in the first place. Because I think there's a couple of steps to answer that question fairly and, and, and fully. I think, first of all, in common with both executive or non-executive searches, we are determining, you know, what is the gap analysis? What are the selection criteria? Behind the scenes, there is a long listing process that takes place that the search firm will do typically with some degree of, of, of confidentiality and will not be contacting people. There is a process where that long list is reviewed with the key board members of the non-gov committee. That gets us down to a short list where we will initiate some exploratory contact. That may only be just, you know, five to 10 people. It's often not a large number of, of, of prospects. From there, we will introduce a number of candidates to the board that may be just three to five. And then that obviously gets narrowed down to, to, to typically obviously the selection of one board member. In terms of feedback I hear from non-gov committees or, or chairs of board around what resonates or perhaps to your point around what doesn't resonate, let me answer your question directly. The single biggest turnoff I have heard from other board members or non-gov uh, chairs is marketing leaders have a tendency to try and oversell themselves. And I forget one of the, the panelists here spoke about conveying yourself as a true, be, a, be, a, be perceived as a peer or an equal. That is the level of conversation with which they, they want to have. I am finding that the boards are most attracted to those that have some sort of, not just a premium brand on their resume, but a personal brand around their own level of accomplishment. I think making sure that you excel at what you do, that you are recognized by your peer group, and that you're meeting the right people is part of building your own personal brand. Perhaps paradoxically, I have sometimes found marketing leaders are not always great at marketing themselves in the right way, or even being perhaps as self-aware as they as they could be. So understanding what your story is, I think Nina spoke very crisply and coherently about the value proposition. Making sure you are clear about your value prop, how that is conveyed both in a written form through a, a bio that may accompany a resume, and verbally around essentially what is your elevator pitch that matters. I'm finding that 
board are looking for someone who clearly operated a senior level, is believed to be a peer, that they're not going to be there just as a passive observer, but rather bring a point of, of expertise and convey that experience authority in the right way. Um, I found increasingly some of our, 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 our board mandates are drawn to those with what I call CMO plus titles, where there's overt either revenue or growth responsibilities or leaning into ESG or purpose issues. I think Paul had spoken about that, that sort of enhanced sense of, of scope and what is the point of differentiation between you and other board members. So those, I think, are some of the, the key themes. One thing I've heard, I, I forget who mentioned it, maybe it was Sunita, or maybe you would ask the question, Margaret, around do prior board uh, going to you know, NACD or, or mm. the cottage industry. So here's, here's where I think it helps and here's where I think it, it, it doesn't matter. I think clearly being conversant around governance issues is extraordinarily helpful. And so where NACD or others support that, I think it's valuable. I have to tell you, though, I don't think I've ever written a job spec where it says you must have completed a certification by a certain body. I've, I've just never seen that. Right. Prior board experience is really helpful. So if you can open the first door, I think that opens others. But I've never seen as a requirement that you must have hit a certification or, or touch a certain course. Richard, you touched on prior board membership. What about NGO boards, the nonprofits or private company boards as a pathway to public company board service? I think that's really important. And I think I encourage people to think about the steps in their career that will get them to a board. Look, I think the mistake that people make is, look, are you going to get called about the board of Berkshire Hathaway? No, you're not. So think about where you're going to target. Some of the statistics you quoted at the beginning, Margaret, are true. We've looked at the Fortune 1000. There are only 36 sitting CMOs serving on the boards of Fortune 1000 companies. So think about where you're going to target. It's probably small cap, mid cap companies. It's quite possibly private entities, either private equity controlled, family controlled businesses, but are you going to get a call for the board of Coca-Cola? No, you're not. Or, well, I shouldn't necessarily say that, but think about how you pace yourself and where you get there. Getting involved in nonprofit boards, for example, I think is a very powerful way to as, a, as an entry level step to demonstrate understanding and expertise and actually build out networks. Many senior leaders who serve on for-profit boards will serve on nonprofit boards as well. And I think getting yourself on the radar that way obviously being committed and authentic in what you're doing and why you're joining that board absolutely helps. So I do think there are uh, steps along the way, Margaret, that can help you land a bigger board. Thank you for that guidance, Richard. And now I think it's a good time to acknowledge that all of the CMOs on this panel are active board members at present and can contribute to advancing the agenda for others. You mentioned networking so well, Richard. So I'm going to go around to all of you and ask you, What's your commitment to promoting the value of CMOs on boards? Cami, very briefly, please. Sure. So my commitment is that I'm happy to network with people who are interested in going on boards and I get calls and happy to refer other CMOs. And also, I really would like to make myself available to folks who are joining a board for the first time to tell them some of the lessons I've learned from the four boards that I've served on on the past uh, four, uh, past 15 years. Thank you, Pammy. Paul, same question. What's your commitment to paying it forward? Um, I just put into the chat, uh, Margaret, the link to uh, www.blackexec.com. So myself and about 30, 29, 30 other black CMOs have, we stood up this organization this year expressly to um, provide a place for people, place for people to go if they're looking for uh, African-American CMOs, including for board slots. And so that's my commitment is to help stand this organization up to help help bring forward the next generation of African American uh, chief marketing officers. And so, if you know, if if in five years we've we've helped uh, place some additional people, then um, then I'll feel good about that commitment. Thank you, Paul. Next, Zena, please. 
Sure, I think it's doing things like this, just getting uh, the word out there that CMOs are very effective on boards and in other organizations that I'm I'm a part of as well for board service, like the NACD, uh, things like that, telling people and being a very visible CMO so that it just starts to bring more awareness to other board members that this is someone with a skill set that you should think about and how it would complement uh, the boards that they serve on. Thank you for role modeling that, Zena. Mike, please. Okay, so I think marketing is the least understood and least consistent C function in business. And so I'm, I'm totally committed to helping anybody kind of think about how they wanna to get to boards. And also like Cami, uh, I think being ready to even interview for boards and to put yourself out there is, is really, really a big deal. And then also how to use the network to get practiced and get ready for the board. I, I, so I'm, I'm happy to help because I think marketers have a lot to offer and I'm not sure the industry is as consistent. I mean, all of business is as consistent at understanding what marketing has to offer. So anything I could do to help, I'm always available. Thank you, Mike. Next, Sonita. Yeah, so uh, Margaret, my commitment would be to help educate perhaps sponsor, mentor, other uh, CMOs who are interested to board service of the value that marketers can bring to the table in the larger sense. So not only in the more classical branding advertising perspective, but more in the value that marketers can bring as an engine for growth. So, you know, participating in panels such as this, perhaps even in any if anyone's interested, you know, and time permitting, providing some one-on-one -on -one coaching and um, sponsorship to help them kind of like sharpen the value proposition as marketers that bring value as an engine for growth. And finally, Nina, please. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so by the way, I think Mike, you're spot on in terms of understanding of the, the CMO role. And I think I don't spend time really talking to other marketeers enough about my board experience, my board role and the value that it brings both to myself, but more importantly to, to both companies, non-exec and executive companies. So, um, so my commitment is really to do so panels like this on my social media. Um, I tend to always talk about the executive side and not the non-exec side. So that's what I'll do. Wonderful. Well, in thanking our panel, here are my reflections. A vital measure of the success of a board is the caliber of the decisions it makes. A reliable predictor of decisions that generate superior business performance is the quality of the debate that goes into them. And a hallmark of high quality debate is the diversity of participating perspectives. This pandemic has triggered and accelerated many shifts, including changing the focus and expanding the scope of decisions required in the boardroom. From stakeholder capitalism, including employee value proposition and sustainable growth, to company culture, brand reputation and digital transformation, the questions are ever more complex and have profound governance, risk management and capital allocation implications. This evolving board agenda points to the need to altering the profile and skills of the members to include more functional diversity. As we heard from the panel today, CMOs can contribute enormously to these emerging strategic domains. In addition, the movement for more women, LGBTQ+, and people of color to join boards, as required by the NASDAQ, Goldman Sachs, the state of California, and many other entities globally, is, is necessitating, frankly, opening the pool of candidates. And that too presents more opportunities, particularly for CMOs from underrepresented groups. My outlook for CMOs interested in board service is very optimistic. While this crisis induced by the pandemic is unlocking inertia, it will be critical for CMOs 
to not lose this momentum. As we learned from today's panel, CMOs need to be prepared to connect marketing and brand expertise to business drivers in order to deliver the value and sustainable competitive advantage that the enlightened boards who appoint them require. Ultimately, when capable CMOs occupy more seats on boards, it's a win for the individual CMO, the board, their primary employer, and all stakeholders. With that, thank you once again to our panel. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. As ever, thank you to my fellow producers, Alison Shiver and Aaron Proud, assisted today by Aisha Ewing and Mick Smith, our blog editor, Daniel Alonso, designer, Gisem Karatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. A reminder that you can share this episode and listen to all our previous CMO roundtables by following How CMOs Commit wherever you enjoy podcasts. I would very much appreciate a review and if you deem it appropriate, a five-star rating. Meanwhile, on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.